to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Did you know that just five days of ibuprofen use has been associated with gastritis, a potentially dangerous inflammation in the lining of the stomach that is caused by this medication? That ibuprofen now has a warning for increasing the risk of heart attacks in adults who use it? And that Tylenol eats up glutathione, one of the body's main natural detoxification chemicals. Yet these are the medications we turn to over and over for our kids when they have a fever. In this week's podcast, Who's Afraid of Fever in Kids? We're going to talk about fever. We're going to get to the bottom of what you need to know, the safety and risks of these medications, and some gentle alternatives you might consider using. One recent afternoon, a lovely natural mama in my neighborhood wrote me a semi-frantic email. Her little nine-month-old daughter was running a high fever, she said, of 100.4. Since her daughter also had a cough, this mama was worried about pneumonia. I've been giving her ibuprofen around the clock to try to bring the fever down, she said, and I'm really scared. A few emails later, she was reassured that this was a low temperature and did not meet the symptoms of pneumonia, and she was more able to relax. I totally get it, though. When my son was around 18 months old, now he's almost 31 now, he had his first fever. I took him to the doctor because... That's what you did back then. I didn't know what else to do. It's still what most mamas do. And this pediatrician recommended that I give him an antibiotic and rub him down with rubbing alcohol. Now, she told me it was probably a viral infection. And I got the prescription filled, but something inside me was saying, wait a minute, viral infection? I thought antibiotics were for bacterial infections. And when I opened that bottle of rubbing alcohol that I brought home with me and had my son in the bathtub where she said, put him in a tepid bath and rub him down with the alcohol, something just struck a nerve in me and I didn't do it. She also recommended Tylenol. Now, my intuition told me not to do these things, but I was scared also. Now, I didn't do those things. And what's really interesting and slightly terrifying, in fact, is the fact that we now know that Rubbing kids down with rubbing alcohol when they have a fever is a major cause of nerve damage in kids. So it's not recommended medically anymore. That has gone the way of the dinosaur. That's an extinct recommendation. Also, we know that 70% of all antibiotics that are recommended to kids are completely unnecessary and inappropriately recommended. So I'm glad I trusted my intuition, but I was pretty scared. I think we've all been pretty well programmed to assume that we have to treat a fever and that fevers are kind of scary or maybe dangerous. So I set out to understand more about fever and get comfortable with it and know when to get medical care, when not to, and what I could do to make my children more comfortable when a fever did happen. Now that was 30 years ago and in the interim years, I've now guided tens of thousands of families safely through fevers without unnecessary medical treatments. And now as a Yale-trained medical doctor, I'm even more convinced of the need for us to avoid unnecessary meds for our kids. Unfortunately, I've seen kids chronically over-medicated for fever, encouraged by doctors and also moms who are scared. We don't know what else to do. And I just really want us to feel empowered to 
know when to treat, but also know when not to treat and what we can do instead. Now, if you're a mama, which is probably why you're listening to this, or maybe you're a grandparent, you are inevitably going to have to deal with a fever because pretty much every otherwise healthy kid is going to have one at some point. And fever is at the top of the list of the three conditions that parents are most afraid of their kids getting. So it's fever, cough, and meningitis that parents are most scared about. And in fact, over 5 million parents take their kids to the emergency department every year for fever. 5 million parents, that's a lot of emergency department visits. And what we're mostly afraid of is usually the implications or the consequences of a fever. Is it some really scary disease that's causing the fever? And even more so, most most parents wonder or worry that the fever can cause brain damage, a coma, or death. That's pretty scary stuff to wonder about. What's really crazy is that actually some healthcare providers are also afraid of this, even though the facts show that these are completely unrealistic fears in almost every case of fever in a child. So I want to help you get more comfortable with fever so you can make the best decision when your child inevitably does have one. And also you can understand the risks and benefits of both fever and the treatments for fever so you can decide what to do. You might be wondering, should you give Tylenol? Should you call the doctor's office hoping that you reach someone? Maybe it's the middle of the night. Can you wait till morning or do you need to go to the emergency room? You've heard about herbs and maybe you even have some in your house and you've heard they can be helpful for fever, but that sounded really good at the time when you bought them. But now that your child has an actual fever, maybe you're not so sure. So what should you do? First off, let's talk about what a fever really is and what temperature ranges mean. When my lovely neighbor emailed me recently and said her baby had a high fever, remember she mentioned that it was 100.4. Now here is a crazy fact. 100.4 is actually the temperature that medical doctors consider where a fever starts. So if it's 100.4 or less, you barely have a fever. Like if it's 100.4, then you can say it's a fever. So 100.4 to just below 101 that's actually considered a low temperature. A moderate fever is 101 to 103.5, and a high fever is anything over 103.5. So a lot of mamas bring their kiddos to me in the doctor's office, and they're pretty scared because their child has 101 temperature, and they're pretty freaked out thinking, wow, this is a really high fever. But kind of keep in mind, that's the lowest end of a moderate fever. So one of the things we can think about is a much more expanded range of what is actually okay for a fever. And the temperatures are going to vary a little bit depending on whether you take the temperature under the armpit, in the ear, rectally, but this is a good general range. That brings me to the point, though, of whether the height of the fever is indicative of the severity of the illness. And the answer to that is almost always no. So children can run really high fevers and not have a serious illness at all. While there is a very slight trend that shows that when a child is having increasing temperatures, there's a small risk of a more serious illness, the fact is that children with serious illnesses also often don't have a high fever. So you can have a really serious illness at a low temperature, or you can have a really common cold viral infection and be running a really high temperature. And in fact, kids tend to run pretty hot. 
Now, the exceptions to this rule are babies under six months old who have a high fever, remember that's over 103.5, or any babies under three months old. Babies under three months old are 10 times more likely to have a really serious infection when they're having a high temperature. So in my practice, I have all my mamas whose babies are three months old and younger with a fever that's high, if they have a really low temperature and there's an older sibling in the house with a cold and they're, you know, the baby's three months old, then I might say we can watch this at home. But any new babies, any babies in the first month absolutely have to go to the hospital for a fever, for a workup. And any babies under three months old, if they have a high fever or if they have a fever and nobody else around them has a cold or anything that it's explainable, then off to the hospital with those babies. With babies under six months old, if they have a high or moderate fever, that's a good time to contact your pediatrician or family doctor and see if a visit is necessary. And certainly if they're acting very unwell, that's an important time to go and get emergency medical care. If they're dehydrated, they're not taking any fluids, they're not responsive, anything that looks like they're very sick, that's when they should go. Also, the one time that I am more concerned with fevers in children and getting them a medical workup is when they're having a fever, usually for more than 24 hours, and they're not really showing any other obvious symptoms. Maybe they're a little fussy, but they're not having obvious symptoms. And the reason for that is that sometimes can happen when a kid has a urinary tract infection. And in little ones with urinary tract infections, that is a time when medical care and antibiotics are needed. So let's go back to high fever. What about the risk of brain damage from a high fever? Well, the idea that there is what we call a glass ceiling on fever has been recognized since the 1940s, and it's a well-accepted fact in medicine that unlike in a condition, let's say, like hyperthermia, which can happen with certain medications or problems that are inherited in the nervous system, in hyperthermia, the body's thermostat has been completely hijacked. And so the body doesn't know to shut itself off. Like it, it doesn't know to shut the fever off or the temperature off because that's not really a fever. That's a high temperature. But in a fever with a cold or an infection, the brain actually has a natural turnoff mechanism. So fevers in kids rarely ever get above 105, but they just don't get high enough to cause brain damage or a coma. That happening is so extremely rare that it doesn't need to be a concern on any parent's radar. It really is just not something to worry about in an otherwise normal child, if your child's otherwise been normal and healthy up until now. In fact, there's actually nothing inherent about fever that is dangerous at all. The risk really has to do with what the underlying infection is. And again, as I mentioned, the height of the fever doesn't necessarily correlate with the severity of the infection. Now, the body creates fever for a reason. When the temperature goes up, the body mounts an inflammatory response that fights bacteria, viruses, and other infections. In fact, the aches and discomforts that you are probably familiar with from having had a fever yourself and our kids get is due to these inflammatory chemicals, some of them called cytokines, that are fighting off the infection. Fever also activates white blood cells and antibodies and many 
many other mechanisms for fighting off the infection. Additionally, a lot of bacteria and viruses that cause us to get sick thrive at temperatures around normal body temperature, so around 98.6. So the body raises the temperature a few degrees to give the body a winning edge because those microorganisms don't thrive or survive as well at higher temperatures. So fever, and this is really important to remember, fever is actually beneficial and not harmful in almost all cases. So what we want to be thinking about is what is the infection and does the infection need medical treatment and just keeping our kids comfortable and supported and hydrated, which I'm going to talk more about in a minute when they do have a fever. So when should you call the doctor? Well, most fevers are due to minor and self-limiting viral infections or very minor bacterial infections. So things like upper respiratory infections, coughs, colds, viral sore throats, even ear infections most of the time do not need antibiotic or medical treatment. So the exception to that, again, as I mentioned, would be a child who has a fever and even after 24 hours really doesn't develop any cold symptoms. And that's when you might want to think about, again, the urinary tract infection. But if your child has symptoms of a cold, a cough, fussy ear infection-like symptoms, that's when you really want to be thinking, okay, this is really probably a viral infection. And that's when you really probably don't need active medical care. So I'm going to just kind of repeat a few of the times when you do want to get medical care. Again, babies under three months old with a fever because they're susceptible to more serious bacterial infections. And that's due partly because of their more immature immune systems, but also infections that they could have picked up coming through the birth canal or if they were born in the hospital. Then again, any babies under six months old with a high fever, remember over 103.5, or if they're just acting really sick and you're not comfortable, or you're trying some of the gentle treatments at home, whether that be Tylenol or ibuprofen for a couple of doses, and the fever doesn't come down, that's when I would take my child to get medical care. Also, if your child is unwilling or unable to take fluids, they're not peeing a normal amount, or they're just not acting right. If they have a stiff neck, if they keep vomiting or have a severe headache, those can be signs of meningitis. And although that's really, really rare, it's better to check it out than to be sorry later. It's always better safe than sorry with our kids, of course. And then any severe ear pain or belly pain, because you want to think about things like appendicitis, of course. If your child isn't really fully able to wake up, they seem weak or limp, or they can't make eye contact, if they're having recurring fevers or fevers that are lasting more than seven days, those are all times that I would definitely take a child to be seen. That's when I would tell the moms or dads who call me on the phone, yes, please bring your little one or your, you know, your toddler or your child in for a visit to come see me. Now, I have to tell you, for me, when my kids were little, usually when the fever got to be over 104, that's when I started to get a little nervous. So frankly, you know, if you're feeling nervous, you're feeling uncomfortable, the temperature is getting high like that, that's a great time to call your pediatrician or your family doctor if you haven't already and just kind of say, you know what, 
this is going on. Do you feel like I should bring so-and-so in for a visit? And the family doctor or pediatrician probably will tell you to. And then you can talk about what the next plan of action is. Just because you go into the office for a visit doesn't mean you necessarily have to do antibiotics or medications, but it could be helpful and really reassure you and put you back into your comfort zone just to have that reassurance. So before we go on to what to do when your child does have a fever, I want to just mention a word about febrile seizures. About 4% of all kids will sometimes have a seizure with a fever. It's terrifying. Honestly, even as a doctor working in pediatric emergency rooms, it, I don't like seeing kids with seizures. It's, it's very disconcerting. And it's certainly terrifying for the parents and you know, you just, it's very hard to watch, but they're actually very common. I mean, 4% of kids is pretty high, really. And what happens with a febrile seizure is that it's caused by a rapid change in the temperature. So it's not the height of the temperature that causes the fever. It's when the fever is going up, the temperature is going up really quickly. Once a child already has had a fever and a febrile seizure, it's not that likely that it's going to happen again during that illness, but it is more likely that your child is going to have seizures with subsequent fevers. So once a child has a tendency to have a febrile seizure, that child just has a tendency, but they don't usually occur more than once in any illness. That's less typical. Febrile seizures usually occur between about six months old and five years old, and they rarely ever have lasting consequences, and they very rarely ever predict a seizure disorder like epilepsy. It's not 0% of the time, but it's very small. If your child has a fever and does have a seizure, it's really scary, take some deep breaths, and it's totally okay to call 911. It's not technically necessary, but there's no harm in doing it, and you just may really need the reassurance, especially the first time, because it's so scary to watch your child have a seizure, and especially at home, and you don't know what to do. So feel free if you need the support, and certainly... Once your child's had a febrile seizure, even if you do end up going to the hospital for an evaluation, if your own family doctor or pediatrician wasn't called in, give them a call, let them know what happened and what they want you to do next, because they can work, walk you through what you should be prepared for next time. And in your child's case, whether any further evaluation is necessary. But the main point of that is I just want to say it's terrifying to watch. Yes, if your child has one, there's a good chance they're going to have another at some point up until about the age of five. But I do want to reassure you that as scary as it is, it's not dangerous when it happens. And of course, you want to make sure they're in a safe place. They're not going to fall off of anything, hit their head on anything. But it doesn't usually have any long-term consequences. So I hope that's a little bit reassuring at least. When your child does have a fever, the first thing you want to do, you can take the temperature if you feel comfortable. And in my course, Healthy All Year, I talk about all the different ways of taking temperature. You can also search the internet for that. And But basically, it's rectally under the arm. There are forehead thermometers and there are ear thermometers. I don't recommend sticking any of the old-fashioned mercury thermometers anywhere near your child if you have one, but there are also under-the-tongue electric thermometers. So you can use any of those. So check the temperature. You might want to check it, you know, one time and then some hours later, and you can check it periodically. You can also feel how hot your child feels. 
most parents are pretty sensitive to that, especially mamas. But um, checking it can be reassuring and it gives you a number to kind of gauge things against that can help you feel better or help you make your decisions along the way. Now, you know your child best. So assess how your child is doing. Now, especially if this is your child's first time having a fever, it can make you feel really anxious and it can cloud your judgment. So try to take a few deep breaths, literally. Take a step back and notice how sick your child seems to be. Kids with fevers, especially if it's on the higher end, are going to be sleepy. They're going to be cranky. They may sleep a lot with a higher fever. At the lower end of the range, they may be really fussy, irritable, cranky, uncomfortable. A breastfeeding baby may never want to get off your boobs. They just want to nurse all day long. It's how they're staying hydrated, but also comforted. And very commonly, kids who are you know, getting sick, sometimes the fever is the first thing you'll notice. Sometimes you'll notice your kid was kind of acting a little off for a day or two. Then they start to have a fever and then cold symptoms come on. Sometimes the cold symptoms come first. You notice a little runny nose, their eyes look a little glazed or red or irritated. And sometimes shabam, it all comes on at once, right? You know, they're screaming, they're pulling on their ear and they have a fever and they're a mess. There's a hot mess. And unfortunately, this so often happens at like 10 o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning. I have gotten so many calls when I've been on call from mamas or dads or both of them on the phone together, often one comforting a, a child or a baby in the background and the other one trying to talk to me. Just scared. And these symptoms come on at the most inconvenient times, of course, when Whole Foods is closed and you can't get the remedies you need, which is why I have, you know, blogs and articles and courses on what remedies to keep at home so you have things on hand, but also when your doctor's office is closed. So then if your doctor doesn't take call, you know, you can call your doctor and get the answering service to call them, or you might have to go to the emergency department if you're scared. So it's, it's hard. But what you really want to do is kind of take a step back and see how sick your child seems. Kids with cold symptoms are most likely to have viral infections. And in fact, even amongst kids with sore throats, 85% of all sore throats are viral and are not strep. And in kids over six months old, in most cases, antibiotics or a medical visit is not needed for ear infections either. One of my favorite resources that I recommend that parents bookmark is called Get Smart. And if you just Google CDC, that's like for Centers for Disease Control, CDC, Charles, David, Charles, Get Smart, you're going to come up onto this website that's great. And they have a section for parents and they have a section for medical professionals. The section for parents provides guidelines for you to be able to look at for when medical attention is needed and when antibiotics are needed for the most common kids' infections, fever, symptoms, ear infections, sore throat, and so on. It's actually this website was intended to prevent antibiotic overprescription in kids. Now, they're a lot more liberal on the medications that we typically use for fever, like ibuprofen and Tylenol, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But the bottom line is you can use this website's information. It's very easy to search. Again, bookmark it. It's then you just know where it is when you need it. And quickly, easy to search for you know, how severe the symptoms are and whether medical attention and an antibiotic is needed. Now, it's also really important to trust your mommy intuition. And sometimes when you're feeling scared or anxious because your kid is sick, intuition and fear can get a little bit blurry. You're not always sure which one you're feeling. 
as moms, we always want to do the best things for our kids. And like I said, it's better to be safe than sorry. So if you're just scared and you just need some medical reassurance, it's totally reasonable to call your doctor, go to your doctor, and if you need to, to go to the emergency room. What I have found is that some moms are just really comfortable and confident, depending on what their upbringing is, their experiences, what exposure they've had in healthcare, et cetera, with their kids having fever symptoms. Other moms and dads, it makes parents really, really nervous. So everyone's kind of along their own spectrum. Most kids are going to have fevers multiple times in their childhood. In fact, antibiotics are so overprescribed that most kids, by the time they're 18 years old, will have been prescribed 20 courses of antibiotics, which means if you've gotten prescribed an antibiotic, you've probably gone to the doctor for it or the emergency department. So, you know, it's pretty common for parents to get anxious about these things and go get them checked out. You can always get a medical assessment and then discuss the options with your doctor once you get some reassurance that everything is okay. And then your doctor can say, yeah, waiting and supportive measures are totally appropriate or... If your doctor thinks not, then she or he can explain why. Now, a lot of doctors are going to just recommend that you give Tylenol or ibuprofen or both. It's the standard of what we're taught to do. Here's the thing. The typical approaches to fever do bring the fever down. So ibuprofen works a little bit better than Tylenol, but both bring the fever down about one or so degrees. Which if your child, and they also reduce inflammation, so they make your child feel more comfortable. Ibuprofen and Tylenol take away aches and pains. There are two issues here though. One issue is, remember what I said earlier, there is a reason our bodies mount a fever. Our bodies mount a fever to fight the infection. So if you're suppressing the fever, which is what these medications are doing, you're suppressing the fever, you're suppressing all those inflammatory cells that I said fight the infection, that's what we know they do, then you're actually potentially putting your child at risk for developing worsening infection. And in fact, ibuprofen is specifically known to contributing to secondary infection. So maybe the initial fever and cold go away, but then they come back with a vengeance and maybe now you've got a worse viral infection or a bacterial infection. Ibuprofen can also cause gastric inflammation or gastritis, gastric bleeding, even after only a few days of use, and kidney injury. Most kids, like my neighbor's kid, who are given a few doses of Tylenol, even, even days of it, do fine, but that's not always the case. One of my sweet, cute little patients, Katie, had a fever, and the mom called up the pediatrician, and the pediatrician said, oh, just alternate giving her Tylenol and ibuprofen around the clock. So on a schedule of like every six hours for the Tylenol, every eight hours for the ibuprofen. You're probably familiar with this if you've ever gone to the doctor for a fever for your child. And so mom did that. Mom, in fact, actually was a nurse, interestingly. And mom did it. And after seven days of doing it, my little patient, this was not me recommending, it was a different pediatrician. They came to me after for severe medical problems that happened as a result of this. My little patient developed gastritis. She had severe inflammation of her stomach lining. Now, she was only 18 months old when this happened, and she had to go on Prilosec for over six months to heal the gastritis. 
But when she went on Prilosec, it really affected her gut and it caused her to have severe leaky gut between the gastritis and the medications. She ended up with severe leaky gut. And to make a long story short, about six months after that, she got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Now, the good news is several years later and with a really good gut healing program that I use in my practice, she is doing great. She never needed the medications that were being recommended by the rheumatologist that she was not seeing. Her symptoms cleared up. But this is a really, this is a cautionary tale. And my little patient is not the only one that this happens to. So we really, really want to be cautious using these medications with our kids. Tylenol is a whole other kind of can of worms. It works well for fever. It does bring the fever down. It does relieve the aches and pains. It doesn't work quite as well as ibuprofen, but both are close to equally effective. But as I mentioned earlier, Tylenol uses up, it burns up something called glutathione, which is naturally produced by your body. Your body uses glutathione to take care of what we call free radicals. It helps as an antioxidant. When we burn that up, we open up ourselves to lots of oxidative stress. Now, Tylenol, partly as a result of this, is associated with liver toxicity. In fact, in some countries, Tylenol can only be sold over the counter in pharmacies by the pharmacist at a maximum dose. Like you cannot just buy a bottle of Tylenol and dose yourself with it in several European countries. And even in countries, where they're still using it for fever, they're using it at much lower doses for kids than we typically use it in the United States. So a couple of the major risks, and they're rare, but they can certainly happen with Tylenol, are liver toxicity, but also kids who take Tylenol regularly for fever can develop asthma. There's a side effect or risk of Tylenol, which is asthma. And the thing is, these medications, they do help with comfort, they're not helping the illness to go away any faster. And they also don't decrease the risk of seizures. So I don't really ever use these in my patients. And I never use them actually in my own kids. I used herbs instead, which we'll talk about in a minute. I would have used them, but the herbs beautifully worked. So I never went down that road. But even in my patients, I really recommend if you need to give a couple of doses of ibuprofen or a few doses or if you need to give a couple of doses of Tylenol or a few doses, that's fine. And especially only if a child has a temperature of 104 or more, and I'm trying to bring it down. 102, I really don't. I, I just don't. I go for the herbs, and that's even what I prescribe in my practice. 104 or over, often the kids are going to be sleeping, so the body has its own way of helping them be more comfortable. But if it's making you nervous and you want to bring the fever down a little bit, Again, those meds will bring it down one or two degrees. But you do want to be really careful not to use them for more than a couple of days in a row. That really is my, as a doctor, that's my cutoff for the comfort level with the side effects of those medications. So what can you do? Well, there are some kind of just basically supportive measures that you can do and some do's and don'ts for those. 
One of the don'ts, especially for babies, is don't overswaddle them. I mean, I'm a total fan of swaddling babies. It really comforts them. It helps them when they're fussy, helps them feel really contained. It's wonderful. But overswaddling babies in too many blankets or blankets that are too hot with clothes underneath and then a heated room on top of it that they're in can actually cause them to have an elevated temperature. And if they already have a fever, it can be not a great thing. So make sure you're not over bundling or over swaddling. And on the other hand, don't underdress. You want to keep your child comfortable, especially because they're more likely to have, you know, alternating heat and then get chills. So keep them comfortably dressed comfortably in blankets, and in general, keep them comfy and in a relaxed environment. You can read stories, they can rest, you know, if they want to watch movies while they're in bed, older kids, if they don't feel like reading because their eyes hurt, whatever makes them comfortable. And certainly my feeling is that kids with a fever and a cold should be kept home from school or daycare. It's fair to your child to have time to relax and recuperate, and it's also fair to other kids to not get them exposed to something. Most kids who have a fever really don't have much of an appetite. So it's okay if they don't feel like eating much or they just want a light diet. They can eat fruit, some soups, just whatever they're having an appetite for. But make sure they're not getting anything with sugar. Sugar inhibits the immune system. So you don't want any sugary foods, no processed foods or junk foods. Hopefully you're not giving those to your kids anyway. And then when a child does develop a fever or gets a cold, I usually pull back, not usually, I always have the parents pull back dairy and heavy foods and too much starchy foods because those all add to the congestion and inflammation. And then you can go back to your normal diet, you know, a week after they're having an appetite again. But keep it light, keep it simple. Now, the most important thing is fluids because the biggest risk of fever isn't the fever itself, it's dehydration. That's where kids can get sick. Signs of dehydration are they're not producing much body fluid, so they're not peeing very much. Their tongue looks dry. Their skin looks not as well sort of plumped up as usual. Their eyes may look a bit sunken. They may be pasty on their mouth. Those are signs of dehydration. If your child is getting dehydrated, it's really important to give them a lot of fluids. But if they already have gotten to the point of dehydration, that's when you do want to call your doctor. They actually may need some IV fluids if they've gotten quite dehydrated, and that can be dangerous. But giving your child regular sips of fluids and you know broth, it can be some of the fluids that I recommend are coconut water because that has electrolytes, herbal teas like ginger and lemon. And that's when you can give a little bit of honey, only for kids over one though. Kids under one shouldn't have honey. And in general, it really is better. You could give fresh vegetable juice, fresh homemade fruit juice. And in general, like I said, it is important to avoid as much sugar as possible. But if they're not taking fluids, the risk of dehydration is worse, in which case then you can give some diluted organic fruit juice if you need to. Now, one of my favorite sort of tricks for getting fluids into kids, and this really works well for babies, toddlers, and kids, is ice pops. A typical ice pop has about four ounces of fluid, so it's actually quite a lot of fluid. And if they're having a sore throat or irritated tummy, they might not feel like swallowing a lot of fluids, but they will suck on an ice pop. And that kind of goes down slowly. It feels refreshing. And what I've done for you is given you a link 
to go over to my website, what you want to do is go to www.avivaram.com backslash 14. That'll take you to this podcast episode page on my website. And what you'll find there is a nice little cheat sheet or recipe sheet of homemade ice pops. And what's really fun about these ice pops is I made some options for herbal ice pops. So you can slip all kinds of things in with some really nice fruit juice. And so I've got some recipes where you can take, for example, frozen strawberries, mix that with a little bit of organic juice or water, or you could use coconut water. And then you add in some herbal tea or some herbal tinctures, even like echinacea or lemon balm, and then you freeze that. And it's so diluted that kids don't really notice they're getting it, but they love it and they'll take those back. And so one of my favorite ways to get hydrated, again, www.avivaram.com backslash 14, that will take you to the link to get the ice pot recipe sheet, which I think you're going to love. They're really fun. I do also sometimes give a homemade electrolyte replacement drink, and this is six ounces of water. It can be warm or at room temperature, two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice, a half teaspoon of baking soda, and a pinch of sea salt. This is an internationally recognized rehydration drink or electrolyte replacement drink. And what you do is you you add a couple of tablespoons of either honey for kids over one or maple syrup for any kids, or you can add about two teaspoons of an organic raw sugar and you mix that all together. And then the dose is really by the child's age. So anywhere from a few tablespoons up to a half a cup every couple of hours, depending on your child's age. And that can be very helpful for replacing the electrolytes they're losing. It's not essential, but if they've had a fever for a few days and they're not taking any broth, they're not eating much, that can help them stay a little bit better hydrated. Now, there are natural approaches that you can take for fever, and I have been using these for over 30 years. These are my main go-to in my medical practice, even as a Yale-trained MD specializing in integrative pediatrics and integrative women's health. The herbs are beautifully effective. They're gentle, and they don't suppress the body. They just support and can really be super calming and soothing. So some of my favorite herbs for fever include catnip, lemon balm. Catnip is not just for cats. It's in the mint family and it's very calming and soothing. Lemon balm, chamomile, spearmint, also ginger and elderflowers. So let me tell you a little bit about these. Catnip, chamomile, and lemon balm are all pleasant tasting. You can simply make teas out of them, or you can use liquid extracts in the form of glycerites, which are made with a glycerin, which is not sugar, but it tastes sweet. Or you can get them in the alcohol tinctures, which are fine because you're going to use such a small amount and you'll dilute it in water. And the catnip, chamomile, and lemon balm are relaxing and soothing when kids have high fevers. And they do bring the fever down a tiny bit, not a whole lot, not compared to ibuprofen and Tylenol, but they're very, very relaxing. They also soothe tummy aches, general body aches, and can be really helpful for mild headaches also. One of the other herbs that I love that I mentioned is ginger. Ginger is antiviral. 
It's antibacterial. It's great for tummy troubles. It helps break up mucus and congestion. So it's great when there's coughing or a lot of runny nose. And studies have shown in adults that when it's taken in capsule form, now for kids, I'm usually recommending it as a tea, but in adults taken in capsule form, it actually relieves aches and pains at a level equal to ibuprofen, but without the risks of the side effects. So for older kids who are willing to take a capsule and they can swallow a capsule, you can give them a 250 milligram capsule of ginger root powder twice a day, and that's going to have none of the side effects of ibuprofen, but it's really going to help with the aching inflammatory symptoms that they have. But for any of these, you can use tea, just have your child sip the tea throughout the day. And again, any of these teas can be made into the herbal ice pops that I mentioned. Now, all of these herbs are safe for pretty much any age babies. But what I mentioned is if your baby is under three months to go to the doctor, if your baby has a fever. So I don't want you to substitute using these for babies under three months. And then babies three to six months, if they're acting pretty unwell, then you still want to get medical care. Once you've gotten the A-OK from your family doctor or pediatrician, then it's fine to use these herbs in even younger babies. The two companies that I highly recommend that you sort of explore their products are Herb Farm, that's H-E-R-B-P-H-A-R-M, and Gaia Herbs, G-A-I-A Herbs, for the liquid extracts, because on their packaging, on the actual liquid extract, the glycerite or the tincture bottle, if you're going to use the tinctures, which is much easier for babies and toddlers, because they're not going to drink a lot of tea. And if you're breastfeeding, you don't want to substitute your breast milk for tea. It's better for them to get the breast milk, but you can give them a little tiny bit of the glycerites right from the dropper. With the alcohol, you want to dilute it in a little bit of water, but with the glycerite, you can give that right straight into the mouth. So with babies who are breastfeeding, I say just slip it in the dropper and right next to your nipple. And when they're sucking back your breast milk, they'll suck back the herbs. They may make a funny little face, but but they'll take it back. With the tinctures that are alcohol extracts, those you do want to dilute in water. So those you can put into other teas or into a water bottle, shake it up. And then if it's very dilute, your child won't even taste it at all. But again, those two companies for the glycerites and for the tinctures, any of the liquid extracts, great because they put the dosing per age or per weight, depending on the company, on the actual bottle. And if you're not sure where to get bulk herbs, so the whole dried herbs for making teas, I usually recommend getting them from a company called Mountain Rose. And you can go online and just look for Mountain Rose herbs. And the nice thing is they sell high quality organic herbs in small batches. So you don't have to buy a ton. You can buy just a little bit of a few of the different herbs I've mentioned, like the catnip, the chamomile, the lemon balm, or elderflowers, which are great for fever, and have those on hand. Ginger, unless you're using it in the capsule form, can be used in the tincture form, but actually the best way to use ginger for fevers and for cold symptoms is as a tea. And the way to make ginger tea is you actually use the fresh ginger root that you get at the supermarket and you grate it. And you usually grate about a tablespoon of the fresh ginger root. And then you bring some water to a boil and you simply take that ginger root and you squeeze the juice 
into the water. You squeeze the juice right out of that grated up ginger and you'll see this kind of milky cream color juice coming out of it right into the water. And then you just mix that around and you can make ginger tea simply like that. You can also grate the fresh ginger, put it into a pan that you've already turned off the boiling water. And it's about a tablespoon of fresh ginger per two cups of boiling water. So you bring a pan, two cups of water to boil in a pan, you grate up about a tablespoon of fresh ginger, put it in the pan, put the lid on the pan after and put the ginger in it. Just let it sit for about 10 minutes. And then you strain that out, add a little bit of lemon. You can add a little bit of honey or maple syrup. If your child needs it sweetened, it's got a tiny bit of a bite to it. Not very much, but the honey or a sweetener softens that just a little bit. And then if you use the liquid, the way I mentioned, just squeezed right into the cup, you don't even have to let that steep. You can just serve that right up. Now, there are a few supplements that I will also sometimes recommend if there are signs of cold or cough, and you can add in age-appropriate doses of immune-boosting supplements like vitamin D, zinc, and vitamin C, as well as a probiotic. And I usually recommend staying on those for about five to 10 days after the fever and the cold symptoms have gone away. So how do you know that things are improving? Well, kids usually run a fever anywhere from 24 hours up to even five to seven days. Things are improving when you notice that the symptoms of the cold or the infection are going away. Your child is starting to perk up and feel better. Sometimes they've actually notably broken a sweat, like you can just see that they're sweaty all over and they feel clammy. Pretty soon your child's gonna wanna get up and play more and start to interact more they're just going to start to return to their old selves and their appetite's going to be starting to return. I usually recommend staying on the supplements if you've started them, the vitamin D, the zinc, the vitamin C, and the probiotic. As I mentioned again, for five to 10 days after the fever has broken and the symptoms have gone away, just to continue to support the immune system. The herbs are really for use during the symptoms. So as soon as the symptoms are getting better, you can just stop using them. With the ibuprofen and the Tylenol, again, only use those for a couple of days max and only until the fever is a little bit lower. You don't keep using those just because they have a fever. You only use them if the fever is high and you don't use them for any of the other cold symptoms that they might be having with the exception sometimes if a child has a really severe ear infection or really severe sore throat every now and then, if you're trying natural herbal remedies and you're not getting the results you want, then that may be appropriate for a few doses to help with the symptoms. Okay, a lot of information. In summary, remember, most fevers are due to viral infections, and fever itself is just, it's just not something that we have to be afraid of. It's something that we have to welcome because it's helping our children's bodies to fight infection. We have to make sure they stay really well hydrated. And if we suspect that they have a more serious infection, we get medical evaluation for them. In babies under three months old, a medical evaluation is always critical. And it may be necessary in babies under six months old. To get more information that you can have on hand at home to see which symptoms need medical evaluation and when an antibiotic might be needed, if you want to double check that, if your child's been prescribed one, have CDC Get Smart bookmarked. While your child has a fever, keep him or her comfy, use a light diet guided by your child's appetite and keep the diet simple and healthy, no dairy, light foods, not too much starch, and lots and lots of fluids because hydration is super important, okay? 
And then if you do need to use any of the medications for fever, the Tylenol or the ibuprofen, use only if absolutely needed, higher fevers, and use only a few doses over a couple of days maximum. And remember, head on over to www.avivaron.com backslash 14 to get the herbal ice pop recipes because they're really great for hydration. That's where you'll find a link to get a printable download that you can keep on hand and sneak some healing herbs into your kids at the same time that you're keeping them hydrated. Also, one request, if you found this information helpful, please, please remember to drop a comment on iTunes. It lets me hear from you and know what's valuable for you. You can always make requests and suggestions, but also it keeps the podcast out in front on iTunes. So as many mamas as possible, like you, can get the information they need to raise their kids as healthy and pharma-free as possible. you enjoyed this episode of natural md radio if you did please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog and while you're there be sure to sign up for my newsletter it's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally that's avivaram.com take care and see you next time